Thank you, choir. I didn't know that few of you had that much in you. That was just great. Well, I'm glad to see you this morning, and I am truly as excited about a passage of Scripture, I think, as I've probably ever been preaching. You know, error is best combated by a positive statement of the truth, not by magnifying the error. And that is exactly what Paul does in the letter to the Colossians. Now, if, if I were writing to the Colossians, and it was a good thing probably that I wasn't, I would probably have detailed what it was that was threatening the church at Colossae and then told why it was wrong. Now, we don't know what the error at the church at Colossae was because Paul didn't give it the dignity of naming it. But we do know by virtue of the things that Paul writes to this church, some things about it. And one thing about it was that in some way the error that was creeping into the church at Colossae was bringing Jesus down from his preeminent position above all things to a lesser position. And so in order to combat the error, what Paul did was to allow the Holy Spirit of God to lead him to make the most magnificent and beautiful statements about the Lord Jesus Christ that he ever made. The nature of Christ and his work thus become the theme of the letter to Colossians, uh, which has been of priceless value to the church. Now, in the passage before us this morning, these five verses, Colossians 1, 13 to 17, two things dominate, two thoughts dominate this passage. First, God's Son is seen as the perfect image of God the Father and as His agent in creation. Second, His work is unfolded in creation and in redemption. The transcendent Christ, who is Lord of lords and King of kings, is in view. Notice with me in verses 13 and 14, here is the permanent transfer. Now I've called this message the kingdom of the Son. And we will see that the kingdom of the Son, unlike all other kingdoms of all kinds, includes everything that ever was or ever will be. Verses 13 and 14, the permanent transfer. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says he has delivered us. The word is rescued and in the Greek it is a word which has a usage of a stronger power freeing a prisoner from a lesser power even in the words that he chose. Paul showed that Christ is all and above all and has all power. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his very own dear son. He has transferred us, Paul says, or translated some of the translations say. That is, as if he carried us away. Where, from where we were captives, as if he reestablished us, as when a people taken captive is made free and restored to their homeland. You see, he made us for himself, 
and though we have rebelled against him, though we were taken captive through our own folly because of our own sin, still he will bring us home and reestablish us and transfer us to the kingdom of his son. It is a transfer from darkness to light. For without God, there is no light and men grope in darkness, shadows of doubt, clouds of ignorance are the best that we can hope for without Jesus and the knowledge of God which his Holy Spirit reveals to us through his word. It is a transfer from slavery to freedom. The word redeem is, is pictured as when someone freed a slave by buying the slave at the auction block and then setting them free or someone buying something back that belonged to them. You know, the way ancient governments were often uh, financed, and this was true up through the Middle Ages, was that when there was war or there were raids into the territories of another kingdom, they would take captive prominent people and then they would ransom them and that's the way they finance their government. That's this kind of a concept to buy back something that has been captured by the enemy. Daddy used to tell a story that I've never forgotten. Heard him when I was a little boy. He said that one time there was a small boy who had been taught by his father how to carve a little bit and how to work with wood. And one of his projects, the one that he cherished the most, had been a little boat. He took a piece of wood and he worked on it day after day until he fashioned it in the form of a little boat. Not perfect, but not bad. He hollowed it out. He then smoothed it down. He varnished it. He shellacked it. Put a little mast and a little sail on it. And he would go down behind his house to the little creek and would with the string on it, let it float a while and then pull it around and let it go back and forth. Well, one day after a rain, he was down by the creek bank and the waters were a little higher than normal and he let it go a little too far and the current pulled it out of his hand and it went off down the creek and he was unable to catch up with it and, and he just completely lost it. He was very upset about it. Time passed and he began to forget but he just wanted his little boat and he just couldn't find it. One day he was in a toy store in his town and inside the case was a little boat. He began to look at the little boat and he saw some of the mistakes that he had made as well as some of the things that he'd done well and he knew that it was his boat. He went to the owner of the store and he said, Mister, you've got my boat in the case. He said, what do you mean, son? He said, well, I, I made that little boat. I, I fixed it up, and then one day I lost it in the creek, and that's my boat. The man said, well, son, I'm sorry. He said, but someone brought that little boat in here, and I, I paid for it. I bought it. And I'll tell you what, I'll let you have it for what I paid for it. Well, the little fellow went home and raided his piggy bank. He was a little short. He found some chores to do, promoted a little income. In a few days, he had it all together and he went back to the toy shop and he proudly gave the man his money, bought his little boat back. And as he was going home, he said to the little boat, little boat, you're mine twice. I made you 
and now I've bought you. That's what Jesus did for us. We're his twice. Scripture says, do you not know that you are not your own for you are bought with a price. He redeemed us and transferred us to the kingdom of his own dear son. It is a transfer from condemnation to forgiveness. It is a transfer from the power of Satan to the power of God. We are unfit for the kingdom of his son, but he did it for us. In verse 14 we read, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven in an instant. Our guilt, the burden of our sins, the penalty of our sins, the power sin has over us is erased in a moment when Jesus Christ comes into our heart and the grace of God saves us. We have peace because of our pardon. We cannot free ourselves, but God in Jesus Christ died to save us. You know, some may say, as many believe, but suppose a Christian turns their back on the light. After all, we choose Christ. Can we not choose to turn away from Christ? The scriptures do not allow for it. The scriptures talk about a falling away from a state of fellowship with God, a falling back from a state of total commitment. But the scripture says that when we are saved, we are born into God's kingdom. And you cannot be unsaved any more than you can be unborn. What if a Christian turns his back on the light? He is still in the light, but the light shines on his back. He has transferred us permanently to the kingdom of his son. And then in verse 15, here is the perfect likeness. These next three verses are the highest statement in Scripture as to who Jesus is, what he's all about. Verse 15 says, and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul sets forth the unique majesty and supreme dignity of Jesus Christ by showing in the next verses and ones that go beyond this passage we're studying this morning, by showing his relationship first to God the Father, then to the universe, and then to the church, the body of Christ. Now this word image means likeness, but it does not mean a likeness like a photograph. It does not mean a likeness like a statue or like a painting. It means a likeness, a resemblance, a re representation, a revelation, but most of all it means a manifestation. Now Paul says he is the image of the invisible God. What Paul is saying is what Jesus tried to tell the Pharisees, what Jesus tried to tell his disciples. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He is the perfect revelation of what God Almighty is. And oh, I don't know where it came from, 
but the mentality and the concept that God is a sovereign and almighty magistrate, which he is, but that he is arbitrary and cold and hard, exalted and taken away from us. And somehow we go to Jesus and Jesus goes to the Father and begs the Father for mercy. I don't know where it came from, but if you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. That's what God is like. Jesus stopped by the roadside with the crowds thronging him and crying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Father and paid attention to a blind beggar. That's what God is like. For Jesus is the perfect manifestation of the Father. See, he's not a copy. He's an original. He is not a sketch of God, not a blueprint for God. He is not a summary of God, not even a perfect portrait of God. He is God. And nothing is left out of Jesus Christ. He is the full and final revelation of the Father. And he will continue to be a perfect likeness of the Father through all eternity. We cannot conceive it. Now just make peace with that. There are a number of things that we can believe that we cannot conceive or understand. For you see, our minds stop where infinity begins. Our minds just stop working where temporal things leave off and eternal things take up. But in ways that we do not understand, we may affirm that it is true that through eternity, the Lord Jesus shall continue to be the perfect expression of God the Father. All things will be turned over to him. He will be the head of God's household as he is now. We know it is true. He is called the firstborn. Now John calls Jesus the only begotten of the Father. It's the Greek word monogenes, and it means the unique Son of the Father. Not the only one, but one like whom there is no other. Now this word firstborn is the word prototakas. It means uh, first. It means the first Son of the Father, but prototakas carries other ideas with it. It means the preeminent Son of the Father. It carries with it an idea of priority. It carries with it the idea of pre-existence. It carries with it the idea of the sovereignty of God, which He shares. Now we are translated here, He is the firstborn of all creation. The preposition of means over. And so the literal translation is, He is the firstborn over all creation, above it, beyond it, before it. The idea of pre-existence, the idea of priority, the idea of sovereignty. He was before creation. Therefore, he is not a creature, a created one. You see, the Gnostic teachers who were beginning their influence in the Christian church, the knowers, the ones who claimed a special knowledge that the scriptures did not reveal, said that Jesus Christ, though he was great and magnificent, was a creation of God the Father. 
He was lower than God the Father. He, in point of rank and character and nature, was above man but below God. And Paul says he is the firstborn over all creation before it. And above it, he is the head of God's household. He is the Lord of creation, the eternal Son who stooped so low to become the son of a virgin. He has unique rights and privileges, and he is the perfect likeness of the Father. And then notice in verses 16 and 17, he is the preeminent Creator, We read, For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ is the source of everything. He is the agent of creation, and he is the good of all things. He is the goal of all things created. He is the conditioning cause of all creation. He is the mediating cause. Now notice, he is the conditioning cause. He is before all things. He is the mediating clause. All things were created through him. And he is the final and ultimate cause of all things. God willed that in Jesus Christ all creative force reside. All creative force was given to Jesus. In him existed eternally all the laws that became evident as creation unfolded. They became manifested in the world. Yet, even though all things were from him and through him and for him, yet he is always distinct from the created order. Through him were all things. He was the medium of divine energy, yet he was not a passive instrument, for all things were for him. Jesus Christ contains within himself the reason why everything was created. He contains within himself the reason for creation. Now consider this statement. Creation was created in order to be his. Creation was created in order to be his. We have a cosmos instead of a chaos, only because of Jesus. He maintains order, harmony, and life in creation. In him, all things, verse 17 says, cohere, that is, hold together. In him, all things hold together. Now, I want to get off on a dissertation on science. 
But there, there is a phenomenon that science has no explanation for. You know about centrifugal force. You know, that's why you don't go flying out the door when you turn a sharp corner. You know, because of the centrifugal force. It holds things in. This earth is hurtling through the universe, through this galaxy of stars that we're in, at an incredible rate of speed. At the same time, this earth is turning. Now, do you know that science has no explanation why some of us on one side of the earth are not pressed down against it and those on the other side are holding on for dear life? This earth is hurtling through space at an incredible speed. And yet, on a still day, a bird can just float on the gentle breeze and we can walk around. I'll tell you why. Science may never figure it out, but there is a reason. It is because in Jesus, all things hold together. In him, all things cohere and stay put. His hand holds the stars in their course. His hand directs the orbits of the planets and controls the universe. And yet as we are, as our minds are boggled by seeing how great he is, yet notice how low he stooped to secure our salvation. This preeminent creator became like us. And yet he is the bond, the order, the law of all things. For in him all things were created. All things have been created for him and through him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. The kingdom of the Son, it involves everything that ever was or ever will be. We have been permanently transferred into that kingdom by the grace of God and never forget that it is all of grace and without the word of truth which the Spirit of God inspired, none of us could ever have been aroused to respond to his grace. He has transferred us into his kingdom. He is the perfect likeness of the Father. He is the preeminent creator of all things. I want to tell you something that, that some of you may not know. You were created for a purpose. Creation and life as distorted and unhappy as this world is was not an accident. There is a rhyme and a reason behind all that happens. And you were created in order to belong to Jesus. You were created for Him. He made you. And then you, like every member of the human race, turned aside from the Father's way to go your own way. And when that happened, in the counsels of his own preexistence, God decreed that he would put skin on and become a man and go to the cross of Calvary and shed his blood so that he might pay the penalty for our sins. He made you. He has paid a price for you. 
the psalmist said it. He said that God has made us for himself, but our souls and our souls know no rest until they rest in him. I don't know your heart today. I don't know your need. But I tell you what you need to do. You need to quit dealing with symptoms because there is one problem, it is sin, and there is one solution, it is salvation. You need to give your heart to Jesus Christ. He loved you enough that though he could have walked away from this planet and had himself another world, though he could have destroyed the race and began again, though he could have just have absented himself from the process and left it alone to go its own way, he has never withdrawn his hand from the process. And in the fullness of time, he became a man. He was our perfect example. He was our sacrifice. He is our Savior. And you may find in Jesus Christ, not just band-aids for a broken heart, not just a repair job for something that is broken down, but a new life. Life in Christ. Life at its best. Life abundant and overflowing. You have heard the word of his truth. And that word will speak to that within you and will awaken a desire to belong to him, but you must respond to the word of his grace. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your sacrifice, as your sin bearer, as your master, as your Lord. And we as Christians need to reaffirm that commitment. Take our eyes off lesser things and put our eyes on Jesus. And no matter what happens, no matter what it looks like, you have the assurance that in him all things were created he is before all things. All things are through him and for him, and he is the perfect image of the Father. Whatever you need, you can find it in Jesus. You can find it today. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you that you didn't just leave us, let this old world go its own way because man rejected you and spurned creation and the blessedness you had made for him. Father, I thank you that Jesus came to be like us. Father, I thank you that we can look at him and see what we ought to be, that we can look at him and see what you are, that we can look at him and see what we may become as we trust him. Father, I claim the promise of your word that where Christ is exalted, he will draw all men to himself. And Father, I just pray for every worshiper this morning without exception. Father, I pray on behalf of those who watch us on television. I pray, Father, miraculously on behalf of those who are not here that today we'd see Jesus in his glory, that you'd draw back the curtain and let us just get a look at him Father, draw from our hearts as we see what we are in the light of Jesus. Draw from our hearts repentance, confession, forsaking of our sins, and a following of you in your way. 
Father, I thank you for what you're going to do because we have met to honor you. We've proclaimed your word and which your word never returns void. Because of that, I thank you for what you will do. I thank you for Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen.